0: Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. Uh, most of you know this is uh, Veterans Day, and so we want to uh, honor our veterans. So if you're a veteran, uh, or maybe serving even now, would you please stand? Uh, Mike's... Where's Mike? Mike's in the wheelchair. He can't stand up, but uh, he's, he's a vet. Where is he? Oh, here. Okay. Um, what was that you, statistic you told me? You, you've taken off an airplane how many times? He only landed with the plane once. So you know where he served? <laughs> I don't think anybody else can say that he use that statistic. All right, so thank you all for your service. Uh, of course we all. yes. Uh, probably all have family relatives. My dad served in World War II, and I uh, had a cousin die in Vietnam and so forth. So we're all connected uh, to the military in some way. You may have a relative serving even now. So I'd like us to just pray uh, also for, for our veterans and our country. Father God, it is a, a special privilege to live in this country, but it came through sacrifice and continues to come through sacrifice. Uh, people, that, uh, men and women, are willing to, to potentially sacrifice their lives even if they don't. Uh, what, a, what a calling. What an what a, uh, uh, honorable thing to do uh, God, we just pray for these folks that are serving now. Keep them safe. Uh, thank you for those that went before them. Uh, the freedom we, we experience now. It makes us mindful, God, that you sent Jesus to die for us. That we might be set free from sin. Uh, God, we just ask you to take over this service. Guide and direct and speak as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, thank you again. All right, we're in a series called Whisper, and it's about, uh, we would say, uh, hearing God. Now we said that most people, even if they don't go to church, uh, pray sometimes, at least once a week. And what people mean when they say they pray once a week, it's usually to some higher power, some God, that they are speaking words in their mind, if not vocally. Uh, we're using a little different definition. We're saying prayer is a conversation with God. Consequently, a conversation involves speaking as well as listening. And the, the way to honor the person you're having a conversation with is to do more listening than talking. So it certainly should be with God. So we're emphasizing the fact that we should pray, but a big part of our prayer, an important part of our prayer, is listening and to do that, we have to quiet ourselves because God primarily whispers to us. And we talked about the reason for that. So we have to quiet ourselves to hear. But even if we do that, how do we hear? And how do we know that we hear? And today's topic is God's primary love language. And it comes from that idea of a book. How many of you are familiar with the five love languages? Uh, parent with, in Spouses as well as with your kids. And the premise of that book is People have different love languages means I feel loved, and the book says there's five, but, you know, I feel love when my wife, I don't, my gift, my love language is not gifts. So my wife discovered a long time ago buying me gifts don't, you know, that's not a big deal to me. Uh, And her love language may be gifts. She says she has all five, but anyway. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, you know, I can buy gifts for her. She feels loved when she buys gifts for me. It doesn't. So we're going to talk about some of God's love languages, but today we want to talk about God's primary love language. But before we get into there, uh, I want to address a question because, uh, I don't know, how many of you have taken philosophy class? I took a philosophy class in college. All right, only a couple of you. It's a fascinating class because, uh, you know, a guy by the name of Descartes, wrote something about, you know, God exists or I exist because, anyway, I'm getting into philosophy this morning. But it's just interesting, the the, uh, the mental calculations, I guess you would call them. But here's the basic question. One, one, one uh, area of philosophy is this. How do we know what we know? Probably never thought about that, did you? So as a child, you know what you know, mostly because your parents told you. You get older, you go to school, you got teachers, of course, you have other relatives, you probably have some friends. Uh, it's funny, as a kid, you believe everything your parents tell you. You get to be a teenager, you don't believe anything your parents tell you, right? Uh, then you get older and you start believing them again. Uh, you go to college, you have p- college professors, you may go to church, you're preachers. And, and so we have all this sources of information. Of course, TV, the news, you used to be able to believe the news. Now, you, you don't know if the news is true or not. We have fake news. And so how do you know what you know? And it basically goes back to who you can trust. Do you trust your parents, you believe what they tell you. Trust your teacher, you believe what they tell you. If you trust people on the television, uh, you believe what they tell, tell you. But we all have a, well, I'm going to use the term baseline, something we judge. How do I judge if I trust this person? How do I judge if I believe what this person is telling me? And so, not surprised to most of you, I'm sure, is uh, this is by baseline. So I use the Bible, Scripture, God's Word, whatever term you want to use, I use this as my baseline. So if I hear something, if I see something, if I read something, after all these years, automatically I compare it to this. And if it's different than this, I reject it because this is my baseline. Now you may have some other baseline, that's fine. And it changes a little over time. I come to understand some things in here differently than I did when I was younger. Now the big problem we have in our culture, one of the big problems we have is this concept of tolerance. And what the the society means by that is anything, everything is true. If you want to believe something's true, you can believe it's true. The problem is in most of life that's not the case. Mathematics it's not the case. Uh, In science it's not the case. There's scientific laws, there's mathematical laws. You can't just believe one plus one equals three. I guess you can. But we're not going to be tolerant of that. A math teacher is not going to be tolerant. Society won't even be tolerant of that fact. Um, so everything can't be, cur- be true. And so even people that, that push tolerance and everybody can believe what they want, they have a set of belief systems that they use as their baseline. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, that's fine. You have some other baseline. But as Jesus followed, this is our baseline, or should be. Now... The issue comes with using this as a hammer. Did you ever have anybody just kind of beat you over the head with the Bible? Uh, anybody like, like that? I don't like that. <laughs> uh, hopefully I don't do that. Uh, that's not the purpose. So here's, the, the, here's the, the two sides of the coin, I guess you would say. Uh, Jesus is described as being full of grace and truth. And we call this truth. Uh, we struggle with that. We either think we can give you grace, we give you truth, we can't give you both. But Jesus said you could. So let me give you a definition of grace and truth that I think we can, can do. Grace, I will love you no matter what. Parents, you do that to your children, don't you? All right? I don't even have to ask you. All parents love their kids no matter what. Um, so they can do whatever they want and you're still going to love them because of grace. Grace. And God loves us no matter what. No matter what we do. That's grace. God demonstrates that for us. The other hand, we have truth. And truth is, I will be honest with you no matter what. And parents, you do that with your kids, right? When they misbehave, when they get out of line, whatever your guidelines are, your rules are, you are honest with them. So you're full of grace. You still love them, but you're also full of truth. Now, in learning, we have an expression, you learn, should, should learn from your mistakes, right? But there's something better than learning from your mistakes. What is it? Anybody know? Learning from somebody else's mistakes. Isn't that better? <laughs> I think it's better. And that's why we should read and why should we study. We should study biographies. The wonderful thing about this book, there's all stories about people that messed up, Right? And God still loved them. And we can learn from, ideally, learn from their mistakes. Now, this book is, is, is different than any other book. <laughs> it was written by over 40 different people, over a thousand, over a thousand year span. Uh, these people had all kinds of different backgrounds. Uh, they lived in different places. Yet, this book reads as if one person wrote it. In fact, we believe that one person did write it. And so we're going to look at a couple things in here that talks about uh, the value of this, the importance of this, and what this this book means. Again, God's primary love language. So the writer of Hebrew is is describing this book, and this is the way he describes it. Hebrews chapter 4, I believe it is. He describes it this way. The word of God is alive and powerful. Now, there are powerful books in the world, but there's no other book that is alive. And he explains what he means by alive. He said, It is sharper than a sharp, sharpest two edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. No other book does that like this book does. It tells me what I am, it tells me what I'm not. It tells me I'm a sinner, it tells me I'm loved by God, tells me lots of other things obviously. The other thing interesting about this book, you can't be neutral about it. You ever notice that? It demands a decision. When you read something in there, you either gotta accept it or reject it. I can read lots of other things and just let it go in in one ear and out the other, but not this book. Not if you truly pay attention to what you're reading. It demands a decision. It's described as a weapon, as a sword, which is kind of interesting because a sword can be used either as an offensive weapon or a defensive weapon. Last week, we talked about piercing. You can take a sword and pierce something or pierce someone, right? That's an offensive weapon. But if you're being, uh, somebody's swinging a sword at you, you can block it uh, with your sword. It's interesting. a story about Jesus being tempted by, by, by Satan, and uh, Jesus is responding with, with Bible verses. He says he's defending himself. And then at one point, Satan uses a Bible verse to, to try and attack Jesus. And then, of course, he defends himself or defends uh, his faith uh, uh, with, with another Bible verse. So the Bible verses can be used and they can be misused, as, of course, in the case of Satan. That word exposed also can mean discern. Discern. And that's what you and I do with stuff we hear. We discern is this true? Is this helpful? Is this good? Or is this not good, is this helpful, is this not true? So he says, this book helps us discern what's good and what's not good, what's valuable, what's helpful, etc. Now, you can read this book and memorize a lot of this book uh, and still not benefit from it. So I put on the outline this, this, this sentence. The goal of Bible knowledge, reading this book and learning th- what's in here, is to recognize and respond to God's word. So recognize that this is God speaking and respond to it in such a way that you and I can grow in intimacy with him. So as I spend time, in this case, hearing God speak to me, I get to know God better. I get to know his character and my relationship with him gets stronger. Gets becomes more intimate. Just common sense, right? The more time you spend with somebody in conversation, the more intimate your relationship uh, becomes. Uh, I want to look at one other thing. Uh, Paul wrote this. Paul was was a believer in the Old Testament, but not Jesus for a while, and then he came to a place where he realized Jesus was who he was, and so he wrote letters that's part of our Bible today and. One of these letters he wrote, or some, one of, the, some of these letters he wrote, was to, to a guy named Timothy. Now, Timothy's an interesting character because Timothy is, is second-generation Christian. You know, Paul and Peter and James and John, they're all first-generation Christians. They, they became Christians either interacting with Jesus or people that spent time with Jesus. But Timothy eventually spent time with Paul, but Paul became a mentor to him. Uh, but he became a believer. We're going to read how he, how he became, a, became a believer. So, this is in Timothy, second letter to Timothy. He says, you, he, He's talking about false teachers. He's talking about not, every, not all teachers are, are true. He's talking about false teachers. There's false teachers out there, and you have to decide, figure out who they are. And then he's talking to Timothy about truth. He says, You must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. So that's how you determine, right? If I trust you, I'm going to believe what you're teaching me. If I don't trust you, I'm not going to believe what you're teaching me. And if you're teaching me it's true, if I determine it's true, then I begin, I'll, I'll trust you more. So, Timothy's been taught. And we're going to see who taught him first here in the next verse. He says, you've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Now, maybe he went to the synagogue, but if you read, we're not covering that part, but you read in in, in the letter to Timothy, he was taught by his mother and his grandmother, who were probably first-generation Christians, Jesus followers. Uh, We're all way down the line. It's said this way, the church is always one generation from extinction. So there's been hundreds of generations. Uh, and Timothy is second generation Christian. And he learned from his mom and his grandma. So it's so, so important that we teach our kids and our grandkids. And of course it's, it's important that the church teach teach your children also. And of course we're involved in children's ministry here at the church as well as uh, out in the community in the school. He says they have given you, his mom and grandmother, have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So that's a fundamental information, you can't find any place else, is how to get to God. And this book tells you how to get to God, establish a Sabbath relationship, we call it salvation. And it comes through trusting Jesus Christ. It tells us how we can have the power to change, not from the outside, but from the inside out. The Bible talks about it as a rebirth, a transformation. And we'll talk about that a little bit in a few minutes. So he goes on. He says, all scripture or the Bible is inspired by God. Some translations say God breathed. So he said it has one author. We believe that lots of different guys wrote it in their own style, in their own language, and from their cultural background. But God directed what they wrote. God inspired what they wrote differently than he inspires me or inspires you or somebody writes music or whatever. Uh, and he says it's useful. Now some translation says profitable. If you have a business, you want to be prof- profitable. You spend your time, you want it to be profitable. He said spending time in this book is profitable or useful. And he says to teach us what is true. It's good to figure out what's true. To make us realize what's wrong in our lives. That's also important so we can... Change, correct it. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. So it's not enough to just stop doing the the wrong stuff. We need to do the right stuff. So we say we believe that through the Holy Spirit uses this book to tell us God's plan, God's purpose, God's character so we can develop a relationship with him. And as that relationship develops, our trust develops. So we believe this, what this book says is trustworthy. It's a standard. I asked in the first service, <clears throat> do they still go to, to markets and stores and check the scales to see if they're accurate? You now down here in the DC there's a bureau of standards and so there is something that's exactly a pound <laughs> to the, I don't know how many decimals, correct? And so they can take that scale and measured against that. And if it's not accurate, the standard will tell them. So if you're not getting a pound of, of, of what you're buying, uh, the safeguard is to have that standard checked. So you can trust the store when you buy a pound of something that is actually a pound. So consequently, you can have confidence when you go and make that purchase. So consequently, we can have confidence in what we read here and it gives us confidence in life, in our attitudes, and our thoughts, and our actions. Um, we try and illustrate it this way. <clears throat> There's a mom that made some strawberry jam, and she said she was going to be leaving, and she told her son not to, not to mess with it, not to fool with it, don't eat any of it. He said, okay, mom. So she goes, goes away for a while, and guess what? The little boy couldn't resist for very long, and so he eats some of the jam. And... Uh, when she comes back, she, she sees her son, and she says, son, uh, did you eat some of the strawberry jam? He said, no, mom, I didn't eat it. He said, oh, son, did you eat some of the jam when I was gone? And this time, he didn't look at her, he looked down at the floor. No, mom, I didn't eat any. Son, I'm going to ask you again, did you eat some of that jam? He said, no, mom, I didn't. This time, he looked at his shoes. He said, this is the last time I'm going to ask you, son, did you eat some of that jam? He said, no, Mom. He looked down his shirt and there was jam all over it. <laughs> and it's kind of the way we read this book sometimes. The first time we read it, oh, my neighbor, he doesn't go to church, he needs to hear that. The next time we read it, um, well, it's those hypocrites down at the church, they need to hear that. The next time we look at it or hear it or read it, well, yeah, my wife or my kids need to hear that. But finally when it becomes really important, what do we see? We say, I need to read that. I need to believe that. I need to do what that says. And then one more verse, uh, Paul says to Timothy, God uses it, his word, scriptures, to prepare and equip his people to do every good Work. So, this book is to help us mature in our relationship with God and maturity in our faith. But it's also to prayers for good work or for service. So maturity and service. Now, the interesting thing is, you don't have to be mature to be served. In fact, you don't even have to be a Jesus follower. We'll let you do stuff around here. Um, so you can serve without being mature, but if you're mature, you're going to serve. And if you think you're a mature, mature follower of Jesus and you're not serving, you're not necessarily here at the church, but serving someplace in the community or somewhere, you're not truly mature. So you ever feel like uh, God is kind of far away, you can't hear him, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? Uh, let me give you a, a suggestion. It's on your outline the easiest way, the best way, I think the surest way to get into God's presence is to get in God's Word. So sit down with this book and open it and start reading it. Now, I don't suggest the, this approach. Most of you probably heard the story about the guy. They opened the book, he put his finger in there and said, Judas went out and hanged himself. Flipped over a little bit more. You go and do Likewise. All right, so I to suggest that as the approach to Bible study. But I would suggest New Testament, maybe words of Jesus, uh, if you've got a red-letter Bible. This one isn't one, I don't believe. Uh, red-letter Bible. Uh, just start reading some of the things that Jesus said. Now, it's not enough just to read it, and we're going to explain that to you in, in, in a few minutes. Scripture gives us guidelines, but the Holy Spirit gives us is our guide. <clears throat> Let me explain it this way. This gives me instructions about the type of person I'm looking for to marry, but Debbie Jenkins' name is not in this book. That's my wife, by the way, it was my, her name. Uh, I know I should go be a pastor, I need to go to school, but it didn't say go to University of Maryland, then go to Southern Baptist Theological, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. It doesn't say that in here. So it doesn't give you the how, when, or where, So it gives you the guidelines, but you would depend upon the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks, Uh, the details, the actual application. So on this final part, I wanted you to think about food, which is appropriate today, right? We'll be eating together. So what's your favorite food? I don't have a favorite food. Maybe you do. Uh, I have a favorite fruit. It's oranges. My wife's favorite fruit is is strawberries. Uh, But think of your favorite food, all right? Now, you have your favorite food sitting on the table here. Now, as long as it's just sitting on the table, that's not very satisfying, is it? In fact, that could be really frustrating. So you can read the book. You can have, I've got hundreds of, not hundreds, dozens of Bibles. I have access to the Bible online, and so do you on my phone, all these other places. But that's not very satisfying, having a Bible, so let's use the analogy of the Bible with your favorite food. We're calling it reading the Bible for depth. All right. So First, you have to actually read it or hear it. Hearing is good. Um, and so with that food, your favorite food, you have to actually bite into it. So reading is like taking a bite. Secondly, you can read it. and never, You ever read something and then forget it? I don't know what I just read, so you, you can't just read it. You got to—we're going to say meditate on it. In this case, we would say you chew it. I hope you chew it before you swallow it, right? So you chew the food. You enjoy savoring the food. So you meditate upon it. Thirdly, you need to pray through it. This would be actually swallowing it because you could spit it out, right? <laughs> uh, you actually need to swallow it, so you need to take it in literally. Take it in. Take it as whatever you read. Uh, Bible. Old, uh, some translations use the word quicken. Uh, the translations I like said comes alive, becomes real. Uh, it's actually the same word for resurrection, <laughs> so it can actually make a bring to life some part of you or something inside of you. And so you get to the place where hopefully you don't do this. You have to read my, I have to read the Bible. Rather, I get to read the Bible. It's sometimes described as God's love letter to us. And uh, I was going through a drawer in my desk uh, this week and I came across a couple of cards that I had saved. And uh, I pulled them out. I read them. And I put them back in the drawer. I still saved them. I still have them. Who do you think that's those cards were from, from my wife. Some of you gave me cards a couple of weeks ago for my birthday. Not that I don't love you and hope you love me, but they went in the trash. Th- they did. All right. Uh, but not my ones from my wife. They can't, because it's a love letter, and I want to read. I read them again, and I'll sometimes in the future I want to read them again. This is God's love letter to us. Sometimes we don't read it because we're afraid it's going to tell us. Well, I'm not afraid of what my my wife's going to tell me. I want her to communicate with me. So praying is actually swallowing it. And then I'm going to use the word contemplating. All right. So I need to process this. I need to think about this. So that's digestion, right? It actually becomes part. Otherwise, I don't remember the person who wrote, wrote this, but we become educated beyond our obedience. We know more than we do. In fact, it was Mark Twain, I think, that said, it's not, it, ain't, it isn't, it ain't, he used the word ain't. It ain't the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do. James puts it this way. Don't just listen to God's word. Don't just partake of it. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. So the last part was obedience. It's actually doing it. Um, this is the part. We eat food and digest it. It gives us energy. Does it give us energy to do nothing? No, it gives us energy to move about and to do and impact the world. And so, whatever we read in here, in fact, someone has suggested that you re- continue reading till it gives you something to do. And then go out and do it. And the last statement I outline is this. There's a difference, or a big difference, between information and transformation. There's a difference between religion and a relationship. That's why we talk about it's a relationship. It's not a religion. Christianity. Um, it's a difference between trying to follow rules and having a loving relationship with your Heavenly Father. So we pray that you will, and this is kind of your homework assignment, that you'll practice these five steps this week. You said, get something Jesus, Jesus said, sit down there, read it, meditate, contemplate, pray it through, and then do what it says. We'll challenge you with that this week. Uh, one other thing before we move on, uh, we're planning a baptismal service, or maybe more than one, and uh, we do, we interview, interview you ahead of time, and then that is your testimony that we show when we baptize you, and so we're setting up those interviews. So if you uh, are wanting to be baptized, and I would just say to you, this book says when you believe, you should be baptized. So if you haven't been baptized under water, Part of your obedience or doing is to be baptized. So just let us know and we'll, we'll schedule you uh, when we're filming those uh, um, um, interviews with, with you. So we'd love to be able to uh, be a part of that step in your obedience uh, by baptizing. All right, so let's pray and then uh, we'll have a final song. Uh, Father God, it's just amazing that we have all this <laughs> love letter from you. Uh, that we can read over and over again, and be reminded, and and it instructs us in your character, and and the more we get to know you, the more we can't help but love you, and we're assured of the fact that you love us, that you're full of grace and truth. You love us too much to leave us like we are, but you love us just the way we are. And God, I want to pray for anyone here this 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 morning that it's not a Jesus follower. Never step across that line. Uh, That they would come, hopefully come to understand how much you love them. That you love them enough to die for them. Um, No other, no greater sacrifice. And that they need to have uh, forgiveness for what they've done wrong in their lives against you and against other people. And it only comes through this thing we call salvation or being born again, accepting a gift and establishing a relationship with you. And then this transformation can take place from the inside out not trying to, ooh, grin our teeth and change from the outside in. God, so we pray for those folks that are, that are, that are thinking about that or that they would make that decision this morning. Uh, most, of, most of us here are Jesus followers. Uh, we come here to worship. We come here to learn. I don't know how much time we are spending reading your word, God, but I, I pray that we have a, it's described as food, that we'd have a hunger for it. And again, that we want to hear from the one that loves us so much. Uh, Father God, I thank you for these folks. Uh, I thank you for your presence. Continue to speak in this service. In Jesus' name, amen.